This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Harriato Diman. Welcome to The Straits Times, the big story podcast where we analyse key issues with our journalists and guest experts. For an expert's perspective on today's announcements, I'm joined by Professor Tio Ying, Dean of NUS's Sosuhok School of Public Health. Professor, for the first time since the pandemic, there's a decisive change to mask-wearing rules by making that optional outdoors. Is this surprising considering the authorities have constantly stressed the importance of masking up? Thank you for having me back. No, it is not at all surprising because it all comes down to a risk assessment and really an analysis of the benefits versus the cost. And to be honest, this is the same for all the safe management measures we have until now. Many of these measures were introduced when Singapore was effectively aiming to eliminate COVID-19 within the country, or what we now call a zero COVID strategy. That's why we have the mask mandate, both indoors and outdoors. We were testing people aggressively, having all these border restrictions, testing before they bought the plane and testing them when they arrived. But now we are clearly moving towards a living with COVID-19 strategy. Many of these measures are no longer relevant. Wearing a mask outdoors will certainly still help to reduce the chance of an incidental infection. But really, I think we know that even though the possibility of this happening is not zero, the real chance of this happening is very low. So we are much more likely to be infected in indoors, air-conditioned environments. And also remember, with today's change, it doesn't mean that you cannot wear a mask outdoors. If you're still uncomfortable and you feel more secure with a mask when you're outdoors, do continue to do so to protect yourself. And at this point, people have asked me, how can me as a public health spokesperson advocate easing of safety measures, including outdoor mask wearing, that will expose people to the chance of a COVID infection? So my answer has always been very clear. Public health is never just about infection control and management, but public health is also about weighing different policy decisions. What are the advantages, disadvantages? What are the chances of different scenarios happening? Just like how we evaluate whether a cancer drug that costs half a million dollars a year should be administered to a single patient and whether that can be covered by the national subsidy. What is the opportunity cost? So equally, now we are talking about what are the opportunity costs to maintaining strict border control measures into Singapore, limiting activities in schools, concert halls, even mandating mask wearing outdoors, whether it continues to be necessary when we intend to live with COVID-19 for the long term. Professor, more easing for restaurants and bars as well, like the lifting of the 10.30pm alcohol ban. And Minister Lawrence Wong says authorities are looking into the safe resumption of nightlife businesses. Is Singapore in a good enough position for this sector to open up? And how can they safely do so? So if we look at what typically happens in the nightlife industry, the activities are likely to involve alcohol and almost certainly no patrons or service industry people will be keeping their mask on. So typically in nightclubs and bars, the majority of the activities are conducted in rooms that are air conditioned, potentially crowded, especially when they're dancing together or uh, and whether some of these halls or lounges may not actually be physically very large. It could be quite a small room. So taken together, the risk of COVID spreading within such settings is actually extremely high and is certainly one of the highest risk activities as we have seen from the beginning of the pandemic, not just in Singapore, but in outbreaks happening in South Korea, Thailand, Japan and Hong Kong. So certainly, I expect Singapore to allow this 
sector to resume, especially with the Formula One coming up later in the year. But if you ask me this question, can the sector truly open up safely? Meaning to say, can all the regular nightlife activities resume without the risk of transmission for a highly contagious respiratory disease? And I have to be honest here, I don't think it can. Not with the nature of the business, or maybe perhaps I'm not creative enough to think how we can allow this. But what does this mean? Is that for Singapore to be ready to accept a certain degree of COVID infections happening at any point in time, when our healthcare workforce and hospitals are no longer at risk of being overwhelmed, because generally there's a degree of immunity in the population, whether acquired through vaccines or natural infection, that's when we are comfortable to allow the nightlife sector to open up again. And to be honest, I don't think that is actually too far away because we've gone through the peak in infection numbers in the past 10 weeks. There is a level of population immunity now to allow us to take bolder decisions. We just need to allow the time for the healthcare workforce and hospitals to regain some breathing space, to resume a level of pre-COVID normalcy. And that's when we can allow the nightlife activities to resume. Just to round up our discussion today, Professor, do the announcements uh, kickstart our endemic phase? And if so, what would the next steps be in eventually reaching endemicity? So I certainly see today as a, a first step into our endemic phase. And that's when I say we, we have begun. And it is a large step too. So there are definitely still many steps ahead. Like, for example, we are, people are already talking about whether we still need vaccine differentiated measures or for example, for travel, do we really still need the pre-departure test before we bought the planes to return to Singapore? So on the vaccine differentiated measures, I actually believe these are still necessary at this point in time. And I've been saying in several occasions that 2022 is going to be the year of the pandemic for the unvaccinated. And I hope people can see why. We are lifting many measures we introduced since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. We are allowing people to return to work, permitting large groups to come together for social and business activities now. So the risk of being infected with COVID for everyone, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, right now is actually at the highest ever. So for those who are vaccinated and booster, it's not that the vaccine prevents them from being infected, but rather the vaccines protect them from the worst harm, from severe disease requiring hospitalization and from deaths. But for those who are unvaccinated or only partially vaccinated, you can say they are, they are still completely vulnerable, no different from the situation in January 2020. And they are at risk still of the worst harm that the COVID infection can produce. So in the short term, our healthcare system needs to recover, like what I talked about earlier on. And what does recover mean? It means to catch up on non-COVID related care, to make sure our cancer patients, our patients with diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or other problems where their care was deferred because of COVID, these people now have a chance to return for their health checks and for their health treatment. So even when the pressure from COVID patients falls, I think it's important to highlight there is still this backlog of patients that require a lot of catch-up attention. And this is precisely why we still need vaccine differentiated measures. Because at this point in time, we really want to minimize the number of people who are going into the hospital, in part perhaps because they are unvaccinated, they are at much higher risk for severe disease. And because of this, trace together safe entry, in my opinion, unfortunately, will still be needed for a while because these are existing tools 
that are used by everyone in the country now as a way to verify their vaccination status. I think we have to be clear. We don't think the, the contact tracing element is necessary as of now, but why should we retire existing systems only to have to introduce something else just to verify vaccination status? And my stand is very clear. We still need to differentiate by vaccination. But in the long term, if you ask me what are the steps ahead, I do see that we will remove vaccine differentiation, just that it is not happening now. So there are definitely many steps ahead for us to return to normalcy or what we envisage as living with COVID-19. So I have to emphasize for the vast majority that are fully vaccinated, today's announcement certainly is already a very big step towards normalcy. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.